Curricular Stories with me, Neil Kagram, and today we're joined by Chris Lewis. Chris, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Really yeah. appreciate it. Let's dive straight into it. So, uh, born in Georgetown, Guyana, uh, was cricket always uh, a big part of your childhood? I think possibly before I even came out the womb, um, to be perfectly honest. It was just a time of, it was a wonderful time in Guyana. The West Indies had some fantastic cricket, cricketers. And the whole country, the whole Caribbean, kind of at that time looked to the cricketers as inspiration. So when I came along, I heard about names like Seymour Nurse and Garfield Sobers and Charlie Griffith and Wesley Hall. And then at the same time, the captain of England is Clive Lloyd. You have players like Vic Richards, um, Joel Garner, you know, um, Gordon Greenwich. It's you were inspired as a young man. Everybody in the Caribbean wanted to, to play cricket, and I was no different. And your family, were they heavily involved in it? Um, the, boys, the boys in our family, the men were, but the women, the women was, a little, was a, little bit, a little bit different. But once everybody in our village had finished whatever chores they had to do, um, as kids we went out and played in the road, and a lot of the adults would sit on what we call the veranda and kind of watch, watch us play. So it was, a, it was a community thing. We all sat down and listened to the West Indies on the transistor radios at the time. Um, it's just something we did as a, as a family, as a, a street, as a community. Everybody was into cricket. In fact, so much so, I honestly never kicked a football until I came okay. to England. And what age did you come to the UK? I came as a 10-year-old. As a Okay. Yeah. And um, how was schooling like? That transition moving from the Caribbean <sighs> to the UK, different culture. It was. It was. It wasn't all bad in the sense that a lot of people think that because you're moving to a new country, a different culture, there are challenges, and there were a lot of challenges in racial in, issues. Um, not so much. Not so much as a young man um, going to school. I we first moved to a place called Harlesden in Northwest London. And to be perfectly honest, I think the people were simply too poor to be caught up in that. People were just dealing, dealing with their day-to-day -day life. And it was a place where there were a lot of immigrants. They were, weren't just West Indians, they were Indians, there were a lot of Irish, there was a whole host of people. And my memory as a, as a young boy, um, it all kind of went quite well. Um, the racial issues perhaps didn't turn up till um, later in my life, but I think coming to England, certainly from Guyana. It was more an adventure in the sense that at that time, going to England was seen as, and still now, was seen as such a positive thing. It was such a brilliant opportunity. And when you got that opportunity, people encouraged you and they supported you. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a positive thing. So coming to England for me as a young boy, even though I was leaving certain members of my family back in Guyana, um, wasn't that sort of a, a painful journey, it was more of an adventure, um, getting on the plane for the first time. Um, the challenges of school, I think it's the challenges you find perhaps in every new environment, and it's not always down to just purely based on colour. You know, it can be based on class, so we have to adjust to different situations that we, you know, sort of encounter. And for me, it was, it was kind of one of those. And did cricket help you settle oh. into schooling life, into the UK? Initially, no, but yeah, um, 100%. Initially, I, I think I, went, I started to go to school, it was still winter, so there wasn't any cricket. So, 
it was hard work because there were a lot of things I didn't understand. There were a lot of different foods that I'd never encountered. Blumange, what's blumange? <laughs> and little things like that. But then I remember summer came, and then I heard there was a cricket team, and of course I was going to go and try it for the cricket team. And once I made that cricket team, um, my life was kind of transformed. My school life was transformed because all of a sudden you're the captain of, of the school cricket team. There's a level, I think, of acceptance, perhaps, um, just in that. And was your school actually quite sporting? I did read that Phil De Freitas was a couple of years yeah. ahead of you. You had Luther Blissett from, yeah. the, from um, the football world. The school was amazingly, amazingly talented um, sports-wise. And we were lucky that at the time we had teachers who went more than the extra miles. Mr. Williams, Mr. Evans, um, who were in charge of cricket, made sure games were organised, made sure that we took things seriously. So I think that helped us all, you know, in the school, not just myself and, and Philip, um, but also Philip had a couple of young um, brothers who were exceptionally good and perhaps could have been professional cricketers. Junior Clifford was a, another man who went to Wilson High and also went on to play for Surrey and went on to play for Worcester. We talk about Luther Blissett and from memory as well, I think Dave Bessett also oh, okay. went to our school at that time. So yes, a lot of talented people, but we were fortunate at our school that we had teachers who put a lot of time in, into us as individuals and that was our success at the time. And where did your talents first get recognised um, from, you know, a level above, you know, just playing school cricket? Um, did you have county trials? I know you joined Leicestershire in 1987 as a young yeah. man. How old were you, 19? I was, I was 18, 18 at the time. Okay. No, I didn't have county trials. I remember my mum sending me, not to trials, but sending me for coaching at Lord's at a, a weekend. And it's the first time I am 17 and it's the first time I've ever had coaching. I've just simply played cricket until that time. The fortunate thing for me and the coincidence of that is that sitting on the balcony was Leicestershire's first team coach, a guy called Ken Higgs, who I suppose you could say, I suppose I just assume he's probably talent spotting as they're doing football. And he tells the story that he saw me bowl and he was interested. I don't know what Ken saw, uh, but he saw something. And it was really because of Ken, because Ken called me or he got Philip to call me and asked me to go to Leicester. I wanted to stay in London. And a few weeks later, he called again. But this time, was just offering me a contract, which was, for me, was unheard of. Because at the time, I was just a little, I was a club cricketer. Not necessarily playing first team cricket all the time. Playing second team cricket and playing some first team. And here was a guy on the phone. How did you feel like when you got offered that? Was it something that you were just ecstatic with? No. Did you have to think about it twice? There ask was, family? There was, no, there was no thought process going on. This guy was offering me, Ken Higgs, was offering me the chance right there and then to fulfill the dream, the only dream I've ever had in my life. And that was to play cricket. Um, I said yes, yes, yes. And I think before I put the phone down, I was already packing to head up to Leicester. How you was know? your experience at Leicester? Um, you had two spells, but your yeah, first one my first, the game. My, my, my first one is kind of informative in the sense that I've never been in that sort of environment. I've never been in a professional cricket environment. And I've just come from club cricket. So 
it's a massive, massive learning curve. As I walks into the ground, the first person I see is David Gow and Peter Willie. So let's just say I'm having major inferiority complex because a couple of months ago, I was playing in the park with my mates and here I am, have to be in the same team as these guys. So that whole experience of Leicester going there as a professional cricketer, starting to play in the second team and even scoring runs and taking wicket was an important part of actually building up my confidence because I'd never, I'd never been to those heights before. So it was nice to see that I could be in that company and actually still get runs and still get wickets and not be out of my depth. And until that happened at Leicester, my time at Leicester, um, I didn't necessarily think I was that good. I was the guy who was going to be a good club cricketer. I was not the one who was going to be a first class cricketer. And then for me at 17, 18, it changed and within a few years, um, I'm opening the bowling for England. Yeah, let's move on to England. <laughs> so, in 1990, you get your first in, um, international cap, ODI international cap, against the West Indies. Mm -hmm. um, now, being originally from uh, the West Indies, how did, how did that make you feel? Proud it's, moments it's, for the family listen, back home as well? It's that, that time is the best feeling ever. Not only am I being selected for England, I'm being selected for England not a million miles away from where I was born. Where it all started, yeah. Yeah, um, I identify with the people of the West Indies as my people, the Guyanese, the Trinidadians, whoever. And here we were in Trinidad, and I was going to have the opportunity to play to represent England against the West Indies, but also against my all-time heroes. Because I was fortunate enough that Viv Bridges was still playing, Desmond Haynes was still playing, you know, um, Malcolm Marshall was still playing. Gordon Greenwich was still playing. So it was just a mad, mad, mad moment. And I'm away with the England A team in Kenya. Somebody gets injured. I'm selected to go over there. And in such a short space of time, all this stuff came. It was, I wouldn't say overwhelming, it was just, it was just fantastic. Because I, you get your test debut at home in England against New Zealand as well. Um, is playing test cricket, in your opinion, the highest honour for a cricketer? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, comfortably, I'll be honest. I love one-day cricket and I would have loved the opportunity to play 2020. I think it would have been right up my street, um, so to speak. But hands down, test cricket is the real challenge, the mental challenge. It's the part where you get to explore so many different aspects of a person's personality during the course of that game and in the end to come out on top is very satisfying to score a test hundred as a take five for or to know that you've performed over five days um, I'm not belittling anything else or any other form of cricket but that's that's a real test do you remember who gave you your first test cap and the words that were said to you um, um, I don't think there was an uh, official ceremony. An official ceremony? No, then? I think back in, back in those days, I think people thought that, you know, when you say you've got 30 caps, that people literally handed you 30 caps and you had 30 caps at home or something like that. And I think it was just one of those days where I think it was at Edgbaston, Phil DeFreitas was injured, I wasn't going to play. And it was one of those short notice, you're playing. So I don't think there was a ceremony. Um, if there was, um, I'll apologise now to my skipper, um, Gucci at the time, but I can't remember there being a ceremony. 
I just remember that, here mate, you're playing and here's your cap and, and off you go. And then a couple of years later, you're in the World Cup final. Yeah. So how was that, so England lose the World Cup final mm. against Pakistan, but how was that tournament as a journey and for you personally as well, you're opening the bowling in a World Cup final for England? Listen, I think first of all, I mean, the whole of the cricket experience, even before I started playing cricket, has been an amazing journey, an amazing informative journey where you, you learn so much. And I think we've heard people who've been playing cricket or playing sports for such a long time always saying that there's always more to learn. And I suppose that's, that's the truth of it. But that World Cup journey, again, it was a time of perhaps for me being fortunate to be ticking off dreams, um, playing first class cricket, playing for England and pinch yourself. You're actually in a World Cup final in Australia. Um, so so with the bat it didn't go too often, you got out for a first baller? Yeah, um, listen, the final um, didn't go well. We played fantastic cricket as a team. Um, we had a fantastic team in that World Cup. We played really good cricket as a team. And the final perhaps was just one game too far because as a unit, we didn't really perform. And of course, that's so disappointing. And there's a lot of words I can use to describe that, but I won't because here we are over 25 years later. Um, so there isn't a need. Um, I look back at it and go, I lost the World Cup final, but I played in the World Cup final. Um, and that's not too bad and actually more appreciate the experience. Um, but of course, losing any game of cricket, especially a World Cup final, um, is disappointing. And then a year later in the test arena, you get your first and only um, test century, uh, 1993 against India mm. away. Now, did you view yourself as an all-rounder? You know, you were obviously opening the bowling for England, you know, touted as someone yeah. that could bat, but you only get the one test century throughout your 32 test matches. Yeah. How, would, how do you see yourself well, you know, when you look back at your career? It's, it's interesting because there's a, a lot of stuff in there. I would say the all-rounder is a label. I just always saw myself as a cricketer, and that meant that I tried to do it with the bat, the ball, I tried to do it in the field. So whatever it was, I mean, as a young boy, I even tried off spin, I tried wicket keeping. So I just played cricket and wanted to do all part of it. Um, throughout my career, what I would say is that people have had a lot of opinion about who I should be. Um, and in a lot of cases, certainly now at 50, I'm not even engaging that <laughs> because that sounds so ridiculous now I'm saying it. Um, to be, to, to, um, to be perfectly honest, but as regards to the one test century in 30 odd tests, I would love to have got more. I would love to have got 20 or 30. But at the same token, I think somebody, let, I don't know, Mike Gatting, how many tests did it take him before he got his first test century? If you see what I mean? Yeah. So you can pull parallels or you can take figures and you can kind of suggest a lot of things that you want to, but ultimately, a lot of people haven't got even one test century. Sure. If, if you see what I mean, yeah. so you can put it into what bracket you want, and for me, it's one of the it's the proudest moment to know that as a cricketer, I was capable enough to get a test century for England, but also to do that in India, which is no small feat. Um, to look at that and go, you know what, perhaps you could have done better. I think is a fair is a fair enough thing also, but at the same time, playing eighty odd times for England 
um, I, I outdid that little boy from the West Indies, all his dreams and his hopes. Um, because at the beginning, just playing one game of first-class cricket would have done me. And to get to the point where I represented England, played in the World Cup, and did all those things, um, I kind of put it in that perspective. That in a sense, I, that I did myself. I could have done better, yes. But yet, I still did myself anyway. So what was your relationship like with the press back then? I specifically asked that question because I know there was that that article written in one of the papers in '94, uh, you know, the Pratt without a hat. Um, wonder if you just tell the audience kind of the story behind this, that. I believe it was for charity originally, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, the story behind that. I mean, again, like a lot of these things now, because we we're going back in time. A lot of time is gone. Um, it was winter, and we were heading to the Caribbean, and my brother and I decided that we were going to shave our heads for charity. And by that time, I was always, let's say, getting myself into hot water anyway. So I saw a potential problem, problem there. I go and shave my head, and of course I'm going to catch a cold, aren't I? <laughs> See how this works out? Cold, yeah. So of course, I don't shave my head, I wait till I get to the Caribbean, and I catch sunstroke instead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's one of that, those stories, but I think my relationship with the press, that suggests there was kind of some of the relationship. The press kind of, they do their own thing. They do what they do. If anything, I think perhaps where I potentially got it wrong is that sometimes when you see a story that's not correct, you want to correct people. And in hindsight, you realize that to a large degree, that's not even possible. So you kind of just let it go. But perhaps at times I got a little bit too involved with what was being said um, because, oh, no, that's not right. That's not true. And but with hindsight, you actually understand it's kind of part of the game and you just kind of let it go and for your own peace of mind to get on with your stuff. And then domestically, you've moved from Leicestershire to Nottinghamshire mm. during this period. Mm. And then from there, you went on to uh, Surrey. Um, how do you describe, you know, your, your cricket back home and such in the county game? Um, Good experiences? No, listen. 92 they, to 95, you're at Nottinghamshire, 95. There, there, are times, there are times where I think throughout my life you could see that everything isn't actually going smoothly. That's cricket because there are times where you're performing and there are times where you're not. But my experience as a cricketer as a whole has been amazingly beneficial. There, there's nothing negative or even suspect I would want to say about my sports that's given me so much yeah. and still gives to me um, actually today. The whole experience of playing cricket um, and being in that environment, I'm not going to go and say that all of it was pleasurable, but so much of it was so, so beneficial and the learning experience and there's so much. I've travelled the world because of cricket. I've met so many wonderful people. I've met Nelson Mandela and so forth because I'm a cricketer. So me personally in cricket, it's as beautiful a thing as it's always been in my life, in the sense that, as far as I know, since I was young, cricket has supported me. But winning trophies must have been important. You win the Sunday League and the Benson and Hedges Cup with Surrey. Yeah, um, a proud moment again. Yeah, that was important at that time because in all the years gone by, I hadn't actually won anything. So it was important to go down to Surrey and be part of a winning team um, for the first time, but also play my own part. Um, in the Sunday League and in the Benson Hedges, 
to get us over the line and then leaving Saudi with a, a heavy heart because to be honest it was a good space and I enjoyed my cricket at, um, at Saudi but just being given the opportunity um, to go back to Leicester and potentially be captain and again like a lot of things it didn't necessarily turn out as I wanted it to but I got that experience and um, we won the championship so out of four trophies potentially that could be won in domestic cricket managing to get my hand on three of them um, that was important because to have played all my life and not to have actually won a trophy um, it would have been perhaps a little bit sad you want to taste that success so you moved to Leicestershire again uh, from sorry in 1998 if we go back a couple of years in 1996 that was your last test match for England, mm. as it turned out, against yeah. Pakistan. Now, how would you sum up your England career? Um, before you answer that, let me just read a quote I found from Derek Pringle, who I believe you shared a, a room with him. I've shared many rooms <laughs> and many, many a trains with Derek. So he said in 2008, mm -hmm. CB Fry apart, he certainly looked like the greatest all-round athlete the England team had ever had. Mm -hmm. Being quick, agile, coordinated and strong. But just as his body seemed perfect, his mind often appeared com a confused mess and he was remarkably uncertain of himself for a top-level sportsman. Now, that's just one man's opinion, mm -hmm. but how would you respond to that? And just your, how would you look back at your whole career? Um, England career? I'll be, I'll be direct because for me it's an ongoing thing. Um, everybody has an opinion about how good they think I should be. Um, I think it's a joke. Um, you have no idea who I am. You never did. Um, nor did you, any of you ever inquired. But you talk as if you know me and this is going on forever. Um, I shared a room with Derek. Um, that doesn't mean Derek actually knows me. And what I would say to everybody is this. I played 80 odd times for England. I didn't play 80 odd times for England because I was born a cricketer. I played 80 odd times for England because I put in a lot of hard work. And in a lot of times, people who say I was talented, I noted when I was doing the hard work, they were sat down not doing fielding practice. So how are you going to be good at it? If you see what I mean? And that includes Derek, to be perfectly honest. Um, the things that I had, I worked for. I remember not being able to catch, I remember not being able to bowl. So I find it disrespectful that a lot of cricketers seem to suggest that I didn't work to get to where I was, that I was just naturally talented. And they should all know better because they all put in work and nobody gets there without work. So I take that as a slight um, that certain cricketers use because they should know better. Yeah, obviously, you don't like, play. play 80 times for England. You don't, you know, just getting that one cap for most people would be the greatest thing. So in, indeed, so that 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 whole talk, I find very disrespectful because it's a suggestion that what I had and what I achieved, I simply didn't have to work for. But Derek and everybody else had to work very hard. And what was your proudest moment playing for England? My proudest moment to play for England was literally putting that cap on the first time, because it signified so much. It signified a level of competence that if you didn't have, people wouldn't pick you. So a lot of the chats about everybody else, and in a lot of cases, it's from lesser cricketers. 
which, and I'm just being perfectly honest, perhaps if you had practiced a bit more and ran around a bit more, perhaps you would have been a better fielder. And I say this now, people said I was a talented fielder, but the whole world is talented now in fielding because they've trained at it. The reason you guys weren't good at it is because you didn't practice long enough. And who was the best player you played with um, for England, dom you know, there domestically? Were so, they, listen, there were so many. I mean, people you learned Graham, from. Graham, Graham Gooch was just phenomenal. How Gucci just went out and he was determined every day and he fought every day and in the most difficult circumstances when everybody else was failing, Gucci would get runs. I mean, he was, he was awesome. David Gow, he was just so elegant and so amazingly talented. I remember watching him do slip fielding practice and literally just off the edges where, wherever, he, wherever he wanted. I mean... From a bowling perspective yourself? From, 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 a, from a bowling perspective, I think um, I played a lot um, with Angus. I played Fraser. a lot, yeah, I played a lot with Devon Malcolm. I played a lot with Philip Defreitas and these were all really, really good bowlers that on any given day you might want in, you would want in your team, you know? And then moving forward um, to 1999-2000, that period, um, you know, I don't want you to say anything you're not comfortable mm. with, let's just talk through what's already been mm. reported in the press yeah. as such. So in a newspaper article it's come out that you were um, approached by an Indian bookmaker mm -hmm. um, to, th um, to potentially um, throw a match. Mm -hmm. um, it was also stated um, in, in these articles that you asked to tap up Alan Malali and Alex Stewart. Um, well, that's, I think that's a little sort of, sort of direct. I think the general gist is, is that I went to a meeting and it turned out that business meeting ended up being one where people were trying to fix um, a cricket match or cricket matches. And I was offered money in order to persuade other England players. And bearing in mind at the time, I wasn't actually in the England team. Um, I reported that um, to the board and let's just say life got a bit messy um, after, after doing that. So you were told that three players um, in that meeting, was that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you told that three players were already involved in match racing or? No, there was, there was a lot of discussion, as in people talk and bear in mind I'm speaking to somebody that I don't know. So what's been actually said, how true it is, I don't know, if you see what I mean. So from that position, the only thing I can do is go and say, listen, this is what's been said and it's kind of over to you. Um, whether anything that was said in that meeting by those guys was actually true as regards to what they were doing, I don't know. Um, but I was in a position, I was put in a position where I had to report that um, to the board and I did that, I did that the next day. And um, how do you feel the, the ECB actually responded in your opinion well, back then? I know a lot of time has passed. But it is, we're going over all the news, but yeah. they responded poorly. Um, they covered their own ass and basically um, hung me out to dry. Um, so literally from that moment on, within two or three months, uh, at the end of that summer, um, 
I think I had three and a half years or three years left on the contract, but I walked away from cricket. Um, it was a time that was, I was deeply unhappy. I was receiving letters, but also I was being called uh, Judas and just generally being booed around the county because the perception was, is that all that that was going on, I was making it up and somehow I was making trouble. And even at this time, the ECB didn't actually help. They actually threw, you know, fuel on the fire. So at the end of that year, I huffed and I puffed and I was pretty upset. Um, and really just, just walked away and, and left quickly behind. Yeah, I was going to say, so in 2000, um, at the age of 32, you, it was, you, just, you left your, your Leicestershire contract? Yeah. You, yeah. Um, so what was, uh, what was life like? I, don't know, I know you said you touched on it there, yeah. you were down, but... Um, life after Leicester? Yeah, life after Leicester. Well, no, at 32, you're well, saying you're getting all this done bad done press. Done that. Life was just life. You, I've made a decision. Um, not to play cricket anymore and for me you've got to remember that I wasn't always a professional cricketer so the idea of just being a normal person um, seemed to appeal where you didn't have to deal with all, with all those other stuff. The issue with that is that perhaps you may be limited in skill sets um, but never mind I um, did different things, I was coaching um, Especially amateur? Um, um, amateurly, I was coaching here in Nottingham That's at the yeah. time. I was playing a bit of club cricket in, in Derbyshire. And eventually I opened an academy with a friend down in Slough um, for a while. And all of those sort of things sort of took up about six or seven years. So by the time I'm at Slough, I'm 40. And so he come knocking. Yeah, sense. the advent well, of 2020 the is 20, now For 2020 cricket. You said before you always wanted to get involved. Listen, I'm thinking exactly the same thing. I'm thinking this game was made for me. And I'm there saying, I used to bowl 25 overs, so how hard can four, four overs, overs be? Yeah. yeah? Uh, so you were 40. I was 40. I was 40. 2008. Yes, yeah. I was 40 and making my comeback for Surrey in, in the T20. So who approached you to come back? Or was, how did it work? It was a funny one. I was still playing some cricket for the PCA, right. so at times you still bump into lads. You, I'd bump into Bickers and bump into this person and that person because we played for the PCA. And every now and then the boys would look and go, oh Chris, you're still getting it through. Oh Chris, you're still looking in good shape. Oh Chris, you could still do a job. And over a period of time that kind of developed till I got a phone call and somebody's going, are you interested? And I'm going, are you mad? Of course I am. And that conversation started, and in a few months, I'm getting ready to, to play T20 for Surrey. Um, like some things in my life that didn't, again, that didn't quite go to plan. But again... You think it was, was just age, the fact that you hadn't played at the highest level as such for I think, a I think, I think few years? Was, I think there was, there was a number of things going on. The, the, the idea that perhaps you can be eight years away from cricket and not play any serious standard of cricket and after a few nets come back in a, amongst guys who've been training hard that's one secondly you talk about that 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 40 thing the body simply wasn't the same body although i was still slim that body hadn't been trained properly for a long time the mechanics so, of bowling yeah it wasn't it wasn't it literally wasn't up to that challenge and um i think it was mark Bettini 
Uh, I think after the first couple of balls, um, pretty much showed me that. Uh, Mark Tierney of Essex. Yes, yeah. because they disappeared pretty much out to the ground. Um, so, again, one of those things that you tried, but not a bad experience. No regrets. How can they be a regret in that? Um, you'd prefer to play the game and it You'd rather wrong. play and find out. Yeah, yeah, than not play the game. You never know, yeah. And the fact that we've played that game means that we're here, sitting here, 10 years later, having a conversation about it. Of course. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So, no, no bad thing. It didn't, it didn't work out um, as everybody would want it, wanted it to, as in wicked runs and actually the Chris Lewis that you signed being the Chris Lewis that was Chris Lewis at 30. Um, so you were given a, was it the contract, was it pay as you play? Yeah, yeah. And um, how many games did you actually end up playing? What's it? Two. Only the couple, yeah. Two, two games. I played a, a 50 over and then played um, that game also. And then um, simply the body gave in. Um, somebody got injured and we moved on. And then a few months later, again, it's widely reported. So again, we don't want to, again, I don't want to say anything you're not comfortable with. Let's just say what's been you know, just wildly out there in the, in the press as such. Um, December the 8th, yeah. um, coming from St. Lucia, um, you know, at the airport, carrying a cricket bag, what mm. it looked like, um, tins of pineapple juice, yeah. it was um, liquid cocaine. Mm. Um, now, that feeling when you got caught, how did it, here's, that feeling? Here's the thing about that subject. Um, we all know what we're talking about, we're talking about importation and we're talking about cocaine. And we all know that story. But that story is 10 years old. Of course. I can't keep telling it. Of course. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. I understand that everybody else is interested in that story. But for me, 10 years later, to keep telling that story um, doesn't work for me on an emotional level. It doesn't work for me on a level that, you know, pushes me forward. Of course, of course. Um, no avoidance. We all know. Um, what we're talking about and importing cocaine. Um, but having to go back over that story every time because of somebody's interest doesn't really serve me, if, sure. if, if, if you see what I mean. Yeah. You know? So currently you're doing a lot of coaching yeah. um, now. So again, you touched up that, you know, that period between 32 and 40, um, you did a lot of coaching back then. And now, now we're here in Nottingham. <laughs> um, how does that make you feel? Um, satisfaction in getting back into the game? It's, it's, the coaching path I've been here is kind of coincidental in that um, friends have uh, started up uh, an academy and there I am. Cricket math? Yeah, uh, cricket, no, was it? MCA. MCA? Yeah, yeah. And shout out to them. Yeah. Shout out to MCA yeah. boys. Yeah. Usman and Akid. Usman Afsar. Yes. So it's Usman and I've known Uzi since he was a young man and not in them, he played in Nottingham. I've known Akib who plays very, very good second team cricket and they started up a new business and coincidentally I've actually moved back to Nottingham. So it's working out as a perfect fit where we can all actually get together and use all the experience that we've got over the years of many different things and pass it on. Um, today we, us and I were doing a, a masterclass, we had a, a club down and we had teenagers range, or youngsters ranging from 11 to 16. And it's so fulfilling to be in a position where you can look at um, these guys playing cricket and be able to help at a glance because you can identify things that would make their game better. Uh, that's personally fulfilling, but also it's a win everywhere. Um, 
So it's it's why I'm here because you can help because it feels good and it's because it's what I know and I have information to pass on. And do you have any ambitions to kind of get back into to coaching in you know the, uh, the professional game? No, I'm not looking um, to be a professional coach. My coaching ambitions really is to do with the youngsters, um, being able to help. Um, those youngsters just like today, um, people who are average cricketers, people who are better than average, um, but to, to be a professional coach and to aspire to be in, in that, um, that's, not, that's not my ambition. Um, where I'm coaching now is exactly where I, I want to be coaching. To, to a large extent at 50, there are a lot of things that are cricket that I'm still involved in. But there are a lot of things that in cricket that I think that I shouldn't be involved in because times have moved on and you're no longer a cricketer, um, so to speak. So, no, I'm not looking to spend the rest of my days, so to speak, um, necessarily at cricket grounds and travelling the world doing cricket. But to be in a position where you can help a youngster at club level or, or anyone with a word and go, you know, have you tried this, have you, have you tried that? I, I love that. I absolutely love that. So to come into academies like this where the skill range varies from the other young lad who's 13 who had never played before to people, of course, who've played and helping, in, helping is easy. And how do you look at the game as a whole at the moment? Um, the current England team, you're winning the World Cup in the one-day game in the test arena perhaps struggling a little bit you've got the test championship in place um, a lot of talk about test cricket going from five days to four days mm -hmm. just how do you look at the game as a whole from your, from your perspective currently listen over the last healthy years, or I think I would say um, healthy in the sense of people playing cricket because the one day stuff the T20 the I all those sort of things has brought a load of people into cricket. Um, people talk to me about cricket who were never interested in cricket. You know, so from that point of view, perhaps people playing and people being interested and I went to the Oval to watch a T20 and I was amazed the amount of people there. And they weren't all cricket fans. They just came. And I think that's a positive thing because... Bringing the audience in. Yeah, because I think a hundred years from now to know that there's a game called cricket, how that game may look, we were unsure. Because You've got the hundred ball coming in. As you know, you say, it, the game is developing. It is. It is developing. I think. I think it should because the game has to serve the demand of the people of the time, and the people of the time now aren't necessarily all got five days. So on a personal level, um, I like certain developments in the sense that it's getting more people interested in the game. And a hundred years from now, as long as lots of people are playing a game called cricket, I'll be happy what that game will actually look like, whether it will be a five-day test, whether it will be a four-day test, what it would be. I'm sure that none of us are sure, but I'll be happy just as long as future generations are playing some part of this wonderful game, how it, how it actually goes ahead. Um, who knows? Things need to evolve to keep up with time, to keep up with people. Otherwise, you know, it falls to the wayside. And then you talk about talent identification. Um, in your opinion, who's the best youngster we should be looking out for in the game at the moment? Oh, well, um, to be honest, um, it'd be hard to comment on the, on the county game uh, because I don't see a lot of county cricket 
um, these days. But looking from an England perspective, um, I'm keen on Oli Pope um, at the moment. I know he's just got into the team, he's playing... Touted as the new Ian Bell, but he's just his own man, isn't he? Listen, I'm not going to say that to anybody, but he looks to me like he's got quality and he looks to me like somebody who is potentially will learn in that environment and come to terms with it, um, to be honest. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of other fine young cricketers in, in county cricket, but I'm not necessarily having that opportunity um, to see all of them. But I like the look of Ollie Pope, but also I've spoken to a few of the, the boys down the Oval and um, they're impressed. I was impressed, I think, last year he'd been out injured for quite a while and his first game back, I think he got a double. Double hundred, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, um, shows character. Uh, I noticed that, so, yeah, let's see how, let's see see how, how he develops. goes. Yeah. Now, Chris, now, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, top man. Um, good luck with the coaching. And, um, yeah, again, thank you very much today. <laughs> Neil, it's been my pleasure, sir. Pleasure. Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories, Chris Lewis, thank you.